name's David. I'm standing in for Neil today. Our guest today is a neuroscientist who's on a mission to help people achieve wellness in their personal lives and in business. She holds a PhD, an MBA, an MSc, and has studied at Harvard University, Stanford School of Medicine, and Oxford University. She has worked on wellness with employees from companies including Apple, SAP, the NHS, as well as Olympic teams and Premier League football teams. She's currently been trailblazing the UK, promoting her wellness program and her latest book, The F-Bomb, which is now on the bestsellers list on Amazon. So big welcome, Julia. I think you're probably the most qualified and educated and esteemed guest we've had. So yeah, we're really happy to have you here. That's what comes with age, David. You accumulate these things <laughs> over the many, many decades. Yeah. Well, look, um, as, as our listeners will know, we kind of want to get into things around distributed ways of working. I know from sort of doing a bit of reading that you've done lots of work with with companies and you kind of go in and you help businesses uh, achieve wellness. So I kind of wanted to start off with that, really. Um, I know in, in 2021, you carried out a study with 250 employees. And at the beginning of that, they'd reported like, a, I think it was 13% of them didn't feel that they were particularly in control of their health and well-being and at the end of your program 85 percent said they felt they were in control so really interested to get into some of the work you've done with businesses and find out a bit more about that really yeah i mean that that statistic boils down to the fact that we know more about how to work our smartphone than we do about our body and our ancient biological circuitry you know and so so that that demonstrated that knowledge is power <laughs> because we started, you know, no one had any clue really about health and wellness. They, they would, they'd been told about diets and to go to the gym their whole life, but that doesn't lead to wellness as we now know. Um, but, but people don't really know about how even just basic stuff, you know, how the circadian system is wired and how that's impacted by natural daylight and the times of day that we eat and just just basic things like that. So the smart wellness program that is in my books and is now delivered as an online program basically teaches you the underlying biological science and the neuroscience, but in a really easy to understand way. So as soon as people understand that if you get early daylight in your eyesight, um, that helps your sleep quality, then they're more likely to go outside and just stand in the garden for a bit. And this is especially, you know, during lockdown and working from home and things like that. Often people are not going outside, sometimes not at all in a, in a day, you know, or not until the afternoon. And when an ancient circuit requires daylight to set your sleep timer in the brain, then it, that's a really simple hack is to, while the kettle's boiling first thing in the morning, is to just go and stand outside for a couple of minutes so that your brain knows what time of day it is. So when you've kind of gone into to corporate businesses, is this the kind of thing you talk about with them? Is this the kind of thing you're encouraging their staff to, to do? Yeah. So I just teach them a range of biohacks. So, you know, daylight is a biohack because it it, it sends a message to the underlying circuits in our brain and body that that require you know that that, that, that then respond to that input channel so day, daylight daylight sound sound that's so i use a lot of music that's i've got my dr rock nickname because i've been using music music as a biohack for 30 years because the ears lead to the brain and so using sound a lot of people do when they're working you know they're they're listening to headphones and they're listening to background music and so certain sounds help you focus certain sounds 
distract you from focus. And so those, those are the kinds of things that that I teach. And it came out of elite sport, really, because I was shown this in the early 90s, which many of your listeners probably weren't even born then, but I was, I graduated as a sport and exercise scientist. And I went, I was on a student exchange trip to California. And while I was in LA at the university, I was invited to visit the US Navy SEALs base in San Diego. And so along I went and the PT instructors there were showing me how they were using music as a biohack. They didn't call it biohacking then because that wasn't a term, but they were, you know, they use music. So they use music during training, when they use music to reduce anxiety and high pressure situations. They use music to boost dopamine, serotonin, boost sleep quality, increase motivation. And that was 30 years ago. And so I started using that with British Olympic squads when I came back and I graduated and I've been using it ever since. And so the program now has just expanded it. So it's not just music and sound that I'm teaching, it's all of the other natural biohacks as well. Because every input channel to the brain triggers a response. So I know there's a lot there's a lot to do with food, which I want to get onto, but just sticking on the music thing then. So I mean, in offices, right, there used to be like the radio one. Um and I don't know if people working at home sort of have that opportunity to choose what they listen to. So what should someone be listening to while they're working? Well, I can tell you what you should not be listening to. <laughs> so probably start from there, because if you put into a search in, you know, the music streaming services, music for focus or music for work or playlist for work or playlist for focus, concentration, what you actually get because I, I, I researched this immensely when I was doing the research for my Neuron book. But what you actually get is a list of playlists that's been put together by anyone who's tagged it, focus, concentration, work. And most of those people have no idea how the brain works. And so it's just a relaxing playlist that they've put together that they think is good for focus. It's, it's not a scientifically curated focus playlist. So, so it's really good to bear that in mind to start with, because just because it says focus playlist on it doesn't mean so, some of them are actually having the opposite effect. So, so what, you know, what do we mean by sounds for focus? And we know that the brain is particularly wired to listen for human voices. So if you're listening to music that's got lyrics in it, then you're basically giving your brain a human voice where it's decoding those words. And so you're giving your brain extra work to think, right, is this what is this person talking to me? Is it important? Is it relevant? Are they safe? Are they dangerous? So instrumental music is preferable because what you're trying to do is to reduce dis- reduce the amount of distracting information that the brain has to process. Because you're even when you're not con- concentrating and conscious of things, like you can't feel your feet in your sock, right? Because your brain doesn't need, it's still aware of, it's still receiving that information. So the less information you can give it, the better, because the more effort can then be placed on the task that you're trying to concentrate on. Yeah. And then you need to think that the brain is wired for survival. So if you're giving music that's 
potentially threatening or mimic, mimicking threatening stuff. So very fast tempo, you know, what is that? Is that thundering hooves? No, it's a you know fast tempo drum track, is it? But it sounds like thundering because our ancient, ancient, ancient brain is not working on what we've invented in the past 50 years of electronic music and everything else. It's, it's based on how it's evolved over millions of years. So sounds in the natural environment, is that rock fall? Is it an avalanche? Is it, you know, is it something dangerous? And so do I need to, to trigger a fight or flight response for it? So music that is more likely to be relaxing and safe. So slower tempo, really simplistic stuff, you know, sounds of nature, sound, a running stream, calm bird song in the background, right? This, this, this is the sounds that we've evolved with those sounds. So, so anything that's likely to mimic that and, and is very simplistic, so you're not giving the brain tons of complex, you know, some of these playlists that I'm listening to, they've got so many different parts and they've got different, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of relaxing, but there's actually, they're very intricate. There's lots of different instruments involved in them. There's lots of different melody lines. So, that, so they are relaxing, but if you're trying to focus, you need more than relaxing. You need simple, you know, basic that's got the minimal amount of information entering the brain. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, I'm one of these people that doesn't want music on when I'm working. I want it off. But then I know that taking breaks is, is quite important. So would it be right to think that the music I might listen to on a break would affect my concentration when I get back to work or affect my, my kind of output of work if I, if I chose that the right way? Yeah, and um, you know, I forgot to mention as well that a lot of people now are using kind of white noise, pink noise, brown noise soundscapes as a as a mask, if you like, to try and block out if you're if you're working in an environment that's very distracting. So open plan offices, for instance, you know, they've been scientifically proven to be the worst place to concentrate and do focused work because you've got people moving around, you've got stuff happening around you, you've got background noise. So using sounds that that kind of help mask that, that outside dis distraction is good. But there's also been interesting work around breaks because with Zoom in particular, it's a weird situation because you do, you're not normally, if you've got someone's face big on a screen quite close to you, you're not, Stanford and, and Microsoft, I think it was, during lockdown did, did some research on this about how it impacts brainwaves the relentless zooms, but but also the fact that you wouldn't normally be this close to someone's large face unless you were in a conflict situation or a mating situation. You're not, you know, you're not normally up up close to people. So so when you've got a big face on the screen quite near to you, that is a bit weird for, for the brain. But also the this is online if you wanted to look it up. I'm sure it was Stanford and Microsoft, but they showed that you cannot maintain a kind of, you know, consistently work-related brainwaves re continuously going from one Zoom to the next, 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 to the next. It just doesn't work like that. And so music in between, just a short break of some music, uh, 
and daylight, you know, and things like that to reset it back down to alpha brainwaves. Yeah. Yeah. So you, th there was then a higher quality of focused performance in the Zoom following those kind of, they weren't using music, they were just saying a break, right? But we know that you can use music to help synchronize brainwaves to alpha to, 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 to kind of be in relaxed mode. So it's like a reset button, if you like. Yeah. yeah. So obviously another thing, you know, people tend to do, I think, is take that little break. And I know that you've, you've done some, uh, or some, some of your programs about connecting with nature, right? And, and kind of getting out into nature and observing uh, environments which are sort of more natural to our, our historical kind of experience of life rather than, you know, being in an office, looking at screens, pretty unnatural as far as human history is concerned. Um, so yeah, yeah. What, what does that do for us then as well? This, I mean, you know, I guess I'm thinking of developers who might be sitting at home, spending long hours coding, staring at a screen, very intensely focused on some code, some really complex tasks. Um, I mean, it would seem like obvious to say, get get a break, you know, walk outside and get some fresh yeah. air. But there's there's a lot of thinking around that as well, right? Because if it goes back to the fight or flight response again, you know, it's like how how much of our time, you know, we, we have to the whole like smart wellness program that that I'm kind of de developing and delivering now is about the fact that we are ancient biological creatures that are now living in a weird modern world, and so you have to keep reminding yourself of that fact and the fight or flight response is if there's something that we needed to focus on focus in right narrow narrow vision focus because you need to be seeing right what is it, that person coming close to me is that a friend or a foe do i need to run do i need to fight do you, you know what and whereas panoramic focus so when you're when you're looking back and you're you're looking, you're not just focusing on a single spot. You're focusing on the entire landscape in front of you. Triggers the opposite effect, so parasympathetic mode of the autonomic nervous system, as compared to the fight or flight arm of that system, which is sympathetic uh, nervous system mode. So if you think of how to achieve that, of just looking in front of you, but trying to see the things in the left and right field of that vision or put your fingers out, you know, wide in front of you so that you're looking at that panoramic gaze. It's like a relaxation response of the, of the autonomic nervous system, because that, that wide landscape view is how we, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that was our normal mode. Yeah. So, in terms of where you're working, I mean, I, I'm lucky I'm sort of sitting in front of my window and I can see, you know, I live in a beautiful island, so I'm very lucky I can see green hills and I can see mountains and I, I love this space to work. And I, you know, consider myself very lucky to be here. But I guess some people listening might be sitting at home in an attic or in a, a very small sort of home office. From what you're saying, then it's, there's there's logic in sort of taking a break, getting outside and finding an open space. Is that right? Or even, I mean, you know, I, I, I like to hope that everyone listening to this has at least got windows. So the easiest way <laughs> to go out, if you haven't got a lot of time, is to open the window, right, and look up at the sky. Like, if you start looking at the clouds, it is a fascinating, it opens up a whole world of incredible nature. When you see how clouds move 
and how clouds are drifting across the sky, different shapes, different layers of them. And that's a really easy way to kind of do a panoramic gaze without having to, to you know, get in a bus and go to the park or if, if you don't have that kind of environment. I'm lucky I, I live on the beach, so it's easy. I either I just go out into the garden or go across the road yeah, and yeah. I'm in the sea. But, you know, we, we all live in very different spaces and places but we all have access to the sky yeah yeah so obviously you know where you get to work is, is something you have a, an element of control over but some people may not have huge amount of control because that's what they've got and that's got what they've got to work with the, the thing which we do have control over is what we eat and i know that a lot of the work you've done uh is, is around food and i'll just say at this point that i've i've followed some of your advice uh, we, we kind of met i think it was about a year ago um and i've i've followed your advice about fasting and, and intermittent fasting and it's hard to put my finger on whether it's that alone or a combination of other sort of changes I've made in my life but the, the change has been incredible I, I feel like a different person you look different you look completely different right you I think you said that last time like we spoke um and I feel different I feel great and I feel younger uh, I saw a picture of myself a few years back the other day and I thought wow so I guess, yeah. I, I mean, I, I really wanted to take this podcast. Neil usually does these, but I just said, I really want to speak to you because I've done your program and I actually really believe in it. And it's something I probably, you know, harp on about to a lot of my friends and encourage them Good. to do. I found what you suggested like has had a real impact, not just on, on the way I look and the way I feel, but on my ability to concentrate. So I guess I wanted to just, yeah, for the benefit of our listeners, just tell them a bit about some of your advice on what to eat i mean traditionally in an office yeah. you know we'd kind of get to sort of run out grab a sandwich and munch it in front of our computer yeah. and it's all crap yeah sugar you know, crisp you know quick crap. chocolate bar to sort of make herself feel better breads pastries right all of the stuff we shouldn't be eating that's what we're surrounded with in office environments yeah. that's that's because that is the culture that's developed yeah. And, and obviously you're fairly limited in what you can eat in, a, in an office. I know that, you know, when I used to work in London, there was, you know, various things which had cropped up around the office spaces to sell you food that you could eat at lunch. But the choice wasn't huge. One of the things I like about working from home is that I get to choose what I eat and I can plan that and I can, yeah. you know, eat le leftovers from the night before or decide exactly what I want to eat and plan that when I go shopping. So, um, obviously I, I, I've kind of understood some of your advice in this, but for the benefit of our listeners, again, like, can you just tell us what you'd suggest is a, is a good a good way to approach food if you're working from home in particular? Yeah. And, and the other thing about the office environment is that somewhere along the way, it became the normal practice for someone who's got a birthday to bring in cakes, which means in offices with a lot of people, there's almost always a birthday, right? It's just, it's relentless. Or if someone's gone on holiday, they bring back chocolates and they bring back, and that, and that is so you're surrounded by this stuff, which we know is, you know, it's, it's like bringing back cigarettes. It's, we know how damaging these types of foods are now, but they're still seen as accepted, you know, normalized habits which is going to change dramatically over the coming years because now the science is showing, you know, what a horrendous effect that had on, on the nation's health. So the, the two things around food for me, I mean, food, food is a critical pillar. If you get that wrong, then you're screwed. 
basically, because every, everything that you put in your mouth, you know, all those molecules trigger cascades of, of biochemical and neurochemical responses that, that are either accelerating your biological age or not. Um, but in most people's cases, we're, we're, we're experiencing an accelerated biological aging because we're eating the wrong things at the wrong time of day. And it goes back again to, you know, the fact that we're ancient creatures and we didn't have food at our disposal in the fridge 24 hours a day. We had to go and find it. And if we wanted fresh food, we only go and find it pretty much every day. And that takes effort and that burns calories. So in, in the very early instances, our ancient digestive circuitry wasn't, wasn't breaking down food all day and all night. It was breaking down food some of the time. And then the rest of the time, there are cellular processes that are responsible for keeping the cell in healthy working order. And if you're not letting those other processes kick in, because the system is always digesting food, then you're going to end up with chronic inflammation because the waste products and, and the kind of the disaster of just basic, you know, the degradation of, of, of things in the cell that are being not repaired, if you like, is that now underpins pretty much all the chronic diseases that's been killing our parents and our grandparents. And we don't have to have that same fate because we now know that not eating late at night, not, not eating, you know, the intermittent fasting that you, that you mentioned, I think that is the easiest way for people to start getting their eating habits back on track because it's simple. Just, just leave like Monday to Friday now, I still do it. I don't eat until 16 hours after I've eaten the day before. So that means I don't eat till, you know, 11, 12 o'clock. So whereas before we were told breakfast, the most important meal of the day, as soon as you get up, have that breakfast and driven by cereal manufacturers, you know, it's just like just the wrong food at the wrong type of day, at the wrong time of day. So starting to do that, eating within an eight hour window and that this most people that are doing this with me see very fast effects. So they lose some weight, they experience extra energy in the morning, extra focus in the morning that they didn't used to have. Their sleep is better because they're also not eating too close to bedtime, which messes up your uh, kind of the, the quality of your sleep cycles through different stages of sleep. So, so that's a really easy thing to start doing. And, and it also, you just end up eating less because you're effectively cutting out a meal because I'm really having brunch, lunch. Uh, so it's a different way of thinking about food. I still eat a lot, but I eat within eight hours in the week, the weekends, I go mad, David, I party, <laughs> but I, you know, ease off, ease off. Cause it's, it's, you know, it's about something that you can sustain for an entire life. 
if if you can never have any fun then it's never going to work you know we have we have to be able to enjoy ourselves as well and enjoy the modern world otherwise you'll just fall off the wagon and that the the key to lifelong wellness is 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 creating these habits that then become your new normal forever so and then in addition to the fasting in the week there's the new nutritional guidelines of having to eat 30 different types of fruits and vegetables um well, plants, whole plants, so nuts, seeds, legumes, bean, you know, beans, spices, herbs, natural, proper food, not food that's been made in a factory, but food that's been made by nature, because that is what we're meant to be eating. Not all of this other, sh- I nearly swore then, I don't know what the, what the swearing gui- no, guidelines swear. are on this podcast. No, we can swear. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's shit food. I mean, it's shit food. And, and, and the, the, the companies that make the shit food have such super profits that they can drive huge marketing campaigns. And there's a lot of debate now around food fraud because some of the packaging is misleading. You know, it makes you think that you're eating something healthy. I picked up a, a pack of bacon the other day and I was looking at it thinking, oh, this must be made from plants or something because it's like, looks healthy. No, it, it was still actually bacon. And bacon is in the group one carcinogen list, the World Health Organization, alongside asbestos and nicotine. We know that processed meats are associated with, with cancer, you know, and yet when I go into a supermarket, all the nicotine is behind a screen and I'm not allowed to see it because it's so evil. And yet I can turn right and go down the chill dial and all the bacon and all the processed meats are there, which are in the same group one carcinogen list as the cigarettes. So this, you know, so the avoidance of cutting back on meats and red meats, more fish, a lot more diversity of plants. If you look at the blue zones around the world, which have the, the greatest health results of people living healthily to 100 with no medications or anything like that they're eating tons of lots of different fruits and vegetables fresh produce from the fields they're eating fish they're not eating a lot of meat they do drink alcohol but not in binge drinking kind of way uh you know they have wine with their meals and things like that on a daily basis in some cases yeah, I mean, there is this whole sort of myth of what's healthy, which has been peddled to us, isn't there? I mean, like going back to the, the milk thing at schools, when I grew up at school, it was it was milk. And from what I understand, that was a, a marketing drive by the milk industry who, who said milk's really good for you. And therefore, it was distributed in schools. Um, and there's sort of various examples of that kind of thing going on, really. I think the breakfast thing you mentioned is, is an interesting example. I mean, this this for me feels like one of the areas where stepping out of that work environment which is very much a designed work environment can kind of empower people to to make choices about what they eat and what they do in a really positive yeah. way yeah um so, yeah. so for someone who 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 has the ability to choose what they eat and, and and you know hopefully takes up some of your advice on on when to eat are there any sort of particular types of food that you would say stimulate concentration or sort of real productivity at work when you're when you are on work and you're kind of you know you're concentrating hard is there anything really that that kind of fuels that that people might want to try and eat more of i mean from a high performance point of view it's about eating well all all the time so that so that all of your 
systems and all of your circuits are optimized. That's that's the aim. If you, if you are if biology is optimized, then you're going to be at the top of your game all the time. And I think that there's a lot of we're we're generally not eating enough fiber, and that's largely due to the fact that we don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. But also, we don't have enough probiotic food. So probiotic is food and drink that has bacteria, live bacteria in it. So our gut microbiome is full of bacteria. And some of that bacteria is good. And, and it creates chemicals that our biology uses for other processes like immunity and serotonin for mood and all kinds of different things. But some bacteria is bad. And so a healthy gut needs lots of all of the different types of the good bacteria. And one primary way of doing that is to ensure that on a daily basis, you are eating or drinking something that's got live bacteria in it. So kombucha drinks now, which are fermented tea, kefir, which is uh, fermented dairy products, uh, sauerkraut, so fermented vegetables, sauerkraut, kimchi, some blue cheese. Th those are easy ways of boosting the amount of live bacteria, good live bacteria that you're putting in. And then the prebiotic fiber, which is what the bacteria needs to survive because it eats the prebiotic fiber, is the fiber that is in the fruits and the vegetables. And so it's important to get those, those fiber things and the whole grains and things like that. And nuts and seeds and, you know, lots of diversity. It's easy to actually get, you know, boost your diversity if you think about it. So I, so I have different fruits with kefir over it and mixed nuts and seeds on top of that. So that bowl has got absolutely tons of diversity in it, loads of different types of things. Because all the different bacteria, if you think like a zoo, you know, the elephants have a certain type of food, the monkeys need a different type of food, the giraffes need a different type of food, not that I endorse zoos. So let's not even go down that, <laughs> but let's say, let's say out in the wild, all these, all these, you know, they, so if you're feeding these animals, you need to feed them all the different foods, not just feed everyone bananas, because not all of those want bananas. Yeah. So, so diversity is key to have lots of diversity in your gut bacteria. Yeah. Okay. And there's, there's sort of herbs and spices uh, that, that yeah. included in the 30. So if I have yeah. a curry yeah. with so seven whole, different spices. Yeah. So whole natural, natural foods. But the thing is about spices is that, you know, you might just have a tiny little sprinkling mm -hmm. of something. So you've got to be, you know, realistic about how, how much of things you're consuming. And I, I, I created a 30 diversity box as part of my own health experiment, because I couldn't find anywhere that could send me a box that had 30 different types of fruits and vegetables in it. So I created my own. We now sell that on the, you know, on our smartwellness.co.uk. So a lot of the foods you mentioned for me sound quite high sugar. And I, what, what's your thoughts on sugar? Cause you know, traditionally having a, a quick chucky bar or, you know, in sports, you see, you see tennis players munching a banana in between games and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it all goes down to how quickly that sugar enters the bloodstream. So sugar, you know, glucose is the body and the brain's energy fuel. That is, that is how 
you know our whole system activates using using that type of, of energy as the primary fuel source so we do need that but it can be it can be accessed in lots of different ways so accessing it via a snickers bar is like injecting an intravenous you know high concentrated processed sugar into your blood bloodstream which over time is dangerous because the insulin response that, that that then has to be triggered to to be able to control that and try and cope with the amount of glucose that's in the bloodstream if you keep keep doing that to the system eventually you you lose sensitivity of that of that system and that that kind of like insulin resistance then you know leads to diabetes and which leads to a load of other chronic diseases so so consuming things that have that that tsunami tidal wave of of sugar is dangerous but especially if it's eaten on its own right if, if you've eaten something that's very very sugary but before that you've eaten something that's protein or fat or something you know like a something like avocado or nuts or something like that then that helps and, and something that's fiber based that that kind of helps delay because you've got other things in the small intestine which means that it's slowing the sugar from getting through the intestine wall and into the into the bloodstream and we've you know we've got this this practice in in the uk and other countries as well where when you go for a meal you're brought bread <laughs> so so you've got nothing in your stomach you haven't eaten anything and they're handing you this bread and so you're, you're eating this bread and that bread is being broken down and especially if it's white bread or white bread rolls or anything like that it's just you're, you're experiencing a blood sugar spike before you've even you know shortly after you've sat down whereas if that bread came with the meal it would have had a far less detrimental effect so sugar isn't bad same with fruits you know i'm eating fruits with other things so nuts seeds kefir it's with other stuff it's not necessarily right i'm going to sit here and eat uh you know an orange and a citrus something or other uh so but but you it's important to remember as well that these fruits give you other things so you're getting vitamins you're getting additional uh you know you're getting water so you're being hydrated through them as well you're getting different fiber responses from them there's different phytochemicals in all different fruits and we are designed to eat fruits so fruit isn't necessarily an evil thing but processed sugar which is what we've and, and if you think of the hunter-gatherer tribes there's a lot of research looking at you know gut diverse hunter-gatherer tribes they actually eat quite a lot of sugar they eat a lot of honey and fruits and berries and things like that and and they've got very high gut diversity because they're eating lots of different types of things so it's good diversity is the key you know people come they get into a habit we are our brain is designed to automate things because then it requires less energy 
So it's very easy to form habits. And so it could be that every day you bring an orange to work and you eat an orange every single day. Whereas you could have had a banana or a kiwi fruit or an apple or, a, you know, every day something different, which helps boost your diversity and means that there's a lower sugar content. And that you're not eating the same level of sugar content every day. Okay, great. Um, so in terms of habits then, I mean, I just sort of, can we summarize then what you think would be or what you would recommend? Um, and I, I want to I frame this particularly with someone who might be working at home alone. Um, you know, so I, I think you call them biohacks, right? So what, what would be your advice or suggested biohacks for someone um, that might be listening that, that kind of works at home, which I guess in one sense, prevents them from having all that human contact, which we know is really healthy, but then gives them the opportunity to be in control of a lot more things than they might be if they're clocking in somewhere. Well, I mean, the key ones are in the morning, get outside as early as you can for a couple of minutes so that you're getting natural daylight because morning daylight has got blue light in it. And then in the evening, you want to try and avoid blue light. Otherwise, it messes that circadian system up because you're then telling your brain again oh it's morning again it's like how can it be morning again so melatonin the sleep chemical is not released properly if you're disrupting that regulated system with artificial blue light at night okay and that that is one of the challenges we've got right because blue light comes from phones and devices and laptops and that exactly. kind of thing yeah but you can get blue light filters now, you can get blue light glasses, blocking glasses. So in the evening, I kind of like light candles and I, I use dimmer switches and low level table lamps. I don't I don't use like a big the central light in the ceiling of my lounge because a bright light bulb, artificial light emitting blue light from above me is telling my brain it's the sun and that it's morning. So that's not particularly useful in the evening. And this is a you know another reason why gym habits don't necessarily give you what, what you think because there are lots of, sort of senior execs in particular who are scoring really badly on the biological age test like you know 10 20 years older than they are even though they're fit but they are fitting in a work uh have you know gym habit at night so leaving the office at 6 30 or whatever then going through rush hour traffic look getting to the gym putting their bag in the locker room getting changed going up so now it's like 7 30 say then you're in a brightly lit blue light artificial environment screaming in your eyes you've got banging music loud high tempo music telling your brain that you're in danger so you're activating, hyper-stimulating the fight or flight arm of the autonomic nervous system. Then you've got to have a shower. Then you've got to drive home. So now your home is like 9, 9.30, and you're going to eat shit food because you're starving. Or you're going to cook something healthy, which means you eat even later. And all of that is eating too close to bedtime. And so doing that, and they proudly tell me that they do this, they manage to get three or four workouts per week, you know, doing this. I'm like, seriously, you need to stop doing that because it's negatively impacting your wellness because fitness and wellness are not the same thing. So if you're a professional, you know, if you want to go and improve your 10K time, then you need to improve your fitness, but you need to understand how some of these things negatively impact the rate at which you, your cells age. And if you want to avoid illness, 
which we now know starts in our 30s, 40s. You know, this, this invisible stuff at a cellular level starts very early in working life. So it's all about have, like locking in these simple habits and learning about the biology. So the little hacks like the, you know, day, the understanding the use of daylight and how it regulates our sleep cycle, sleep timer, understanding how sound can tell your brain it's safe, so it's relaxing, understanding how and when to eat and just simple stuff like that. And this, this is what the, you know, the smart wellness program that we're now banging on about is, is designed to do. Cause I spent decades telling people to go to the gym as a sport and exercise scientist. That's what I believed was right. But the evidence clearly shows when I started digging into research around this five years ago, cause I'm like, how can the, how can the diet and fitness industry, the revenues be going up and up and up and up and up and up. And at the same time, chronic diseases are going up and up and up and up and up and up. Mental health problems up and up and up and up. Average waistline size up and up and up and up and up. Diet and fitness are not the route to lifelong wellness uh, or high performance. So not in the way that, you know, not in a sustainable way that avoids illness. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a big shift from everything we've ever been told, isn't yeah. it? It's, you know, it's been absolutely fantastic listening to your advice. And so, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Um, there's, there's a little tradition we have here, which Neil, my my colleague, has sort of set out, which he asks people to, um, and this is probably going to be particularly fitting for you with your Dr. Rock monkey, uh, um, choose a song or a band that have kind of really influenced you in your career or in your uh, in your work. Um, and just, yeah, t just tell us a little bit about a song or a particular band that has done that in your, in your lives. Well, so I've been talking about this quite a lot recently because one, one of the things that I teach is the fact that building new brain cells throughout life is called neuroplasticity is really, is really critical. And the, the most effective way of doing it is to learn a musical instrument because it's very, very complex, novel task for the brain. And I've been teaching myself, I've been having lessons and learning how to play lead guitar like Jimi Hendrix for the last year. Because I learned guitar, like rhythm guitar when I was really young, but in 1987, this has scarred me, David, to this day, I was in a band and at school, we were doing this variety show and we decided to play the cult, She Sells Sanctuary which is still one of my favorite songs of all time. But for some reason, we decided that we were going to play it at this, at this event. And I was playing lead guitar and the curtains opened and I was so nervous that I didn't hit one right note. It was like, you know, you'll, you'll probably know Les Dawson. It was like Les Dawson plays lead guitar. It's that kind of thing, like every single note. And it was the whole school was laughing and it was excruciatingly embarrassing. And that put me off playing lead guitar my whole life until, until last year, I thought, right, I'm going to, I'm going to master it. And so I still, I still really love that song. Um, it's just got a lot of energy around it and and it reminds me, you know, nostalgia is a big wellness tool. And it re reminds me, even though that particular event was horrendously embarrassing, it still reminds me of that time, you know, I was 17, I was in a band, we were going out all the time, we were partying, it was, you know, it was a really energizing time and no nostalgia 
is, you know, is a wellness hack. So it's good to dive into songs from your past. So yeah, that song would be mine. Great. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's interesting at Tribes, we've got a real music heritage. My, my background was the music industry. I was also in bands when I was young. Bruce is still in bands. Uh, and Neil, who usually takes his podcast, was also in a boy band. Well, I'm now accidentally in a band because when I did a, a Q&A and I, tell, I was talking about the fact that I'm learning lead guitar and I was some women in the audience who live near me, one of them was learning drums for her brain health and the other one was learning bass guitar and so we found a young singer and we've now got a band all, all female rock band called pretty crap brilliant i love the name i think it's absolutely brilliant yeah great okay well look thanks thanks again so much julia it's been a real pleasure talking to you thank you um, great to be here so yeah neil will be back in the hot seat next week um but thanks thanks to you again julia and thanks to everyone who's been listening